Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Today, I'm speaking with Josh Gibson, president and CEO of Sojourn Group Consulting. He will be talking a lot about operating a profitable e-commerce business on multiple marketplaces. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Josh, I started Hadley Designs back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made getting to that eight-figure mark take a lot longer than it needed to. There were times where I doubted whether I could actually run a profitable business or survive or actually become a real brand. I wish I would have had a guide to help me grow faster and avoid a lot of those stumbling blocks. If you've hit similar plateaus and want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month, I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com with the subject line strategy audit and tell me why I should choose you uh, for the strategy audit for your chance to win. And don't worry if you don't win this month, you'll be entered for future months to come. But today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Josh Gibson. Uh, over the past 20 years, Josh has been leading Sojourn Group Consulting, a company with a strong e-commerce focus. Sojourn Group Consulting specializes in marketplace sales and has evolved from being a third-party seller into an agency that helps other sellers grow their marketplace presence without having to hire a full team. Their years of experience and team make their bolt-on solution very simple for many companies. Outside of work, he is happily married for 15 years and is the father of four children, ages eight, six, four, and two. That makes him very busy. At this stage in his life, he says there's little time for anything except work and family. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. Well, with how busy you are with a, a young and growing family and the business, we're excited to have you share some of your time with us. So thanks yeah. again for joining us. Uh, Josh, tell us, uh, how did Sojourn Group uh, get started? Tell me when you got into this space and you know what evolved you know you were selling i assume and then that kind of evolved into an agency why don't you rewind the tapes yeah. and tell us more we started back in 2002 um as a seller on ebay we were doing custom built computers and from there we started to see it grow and the the size in the garage took up more and more space of custom built computers then we realized that each component itself also could sell for some money and we started selling the components that we were able to source cheaper because we were buying in volume from there, uh, we got into a couple different lines of refurbished, realizing that they're very similar quality, if not the same quality, of just being customer returns. And we're able to dive into a few different brands um, with the re with returns and refurbished product. We put those into the computers. We're able to make the computers a little more profitable, but also realized that selling refurbished had a much larger, um, at least back then, <laughs> margin than they um, than we're making on the new stuff. From there, we got into multiple different brands and then continued to grow. Um, and in 2000 and well, where we had in 2000, whatever, a few years ago, we ended up realizing that the desire for third party selling was becoming much less and more and more brands were moving their accounts and their selling from being in the distribution world to being a direct to, to consumer sales. So instead of B2B, they want to go B2C. Um, and we realized with the, the team and resources we had, it made a lot of sense for us to start pivoting what we were doing, no longer being a third party seller. Um, but being a, a consulting agency for these brands that are coming over. Uh, we specialize in helping bring brands from Vendor Central over to Seller Central uh, because we we see a lot of the heartache that goes along with being a Vendor Central seller, the dependence on Amazon, the chargebacks, being able to hit multiple different uh, troughs for, for, um, for revenue streams for Amazon and not realizing how much it actually costs to be a Vendor Central seller. Um, 
And with that, we also were able to pick up other brands from from referrals or brands that we've been able to work with um, to grow. So it started as a very small two-person operation out of a garage. Now we're running 39 people, um, and we have a little over $250 million under management um, currently. So That's amazing. What, what, what a journey. When did you get started into Amazon? So I know you started on eBay, but when did you start, you know, diving into the Amazon platform then? Great question. I think it was 2009, 2010, because as a refurbished seller, it was really difficult. Uh, so Amazon went through a couple of different variations. They went through a variation where you can only have a new ASIN, and then they went through a variation where you'd have new and refurbished, and then they mm. didn't like refurbished, and so they took the refurbished away and put it all back into the new ASIN. Um, and then certified refurbished came out um, and we're in the entry level steps of that. We were asked to join. And so once we, once we hit that, was it 2009, 2010, somewhere in that front time frame, I could be off on that is when we really started to launch because that for us as a third party seller that sold 90% refurbished goods, it was a platform that we could launch and do very well in. Um, and we, we ballooned significantly, but with that, there's also a lot of challenges that caused us to learn. Um, so we went from $10 million to a $65 million account in one year. Um, and that, that was very, very painful. Um, and the amount of money that we lost and trying to, um, so one of the things we also focus on is not only the top end item of sales, but also trying to protect the bottom line. Yeah. So a saying I say often is Amazon will eat your, your bottom line for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It'll make you super happy with under the dessert on the top end, right? <laughs> but if, if we can help you protect your bottom line, um, it makes a, a big, big difference. And that comes from A to Z ch- claims, chargeback claims, FBA returns. Um, so customers, as you know, get returned or refunded right away once that UPS number tracks or USPS number tr- tracks. But we track that item all the way back to the FC and figuring do we get reimbursed for the item or do we get reimbursed for cash? Yeah. Um, and so that being able to track those minutias is what we learned early on. We lost a lot, a lot of money early on by not protecting the bottom line because we are so enamored with the top line. And with that, we've been able to build a lot of strategies and a lot of custom solutions to help track and keep um, that bottom line protected. So I know there's a lot of reimbursement agencies out there. Um, we have taken all that in-house um, and we're able to, to do quite well. So we brought two clients on recently just for um, reference. They had no idea that there was money out there out saying they trusted Amazon. We kept letting them know this is something that we're able to offer just as trying to provide uh, a value added benefit. Right. Um, and within those two clients, I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars in two and a half months. We were able to find that they had no idea that they lost. But the problem is we only can go back 18 months. That's as long right. as you can request reimbursements. And so we spend, we spend a good amount of time helping do that um, to show, show the value. Cause if, if we're able to show the value that we understand Amazon, that we understand the nuances, that we can we can protect your bottom line while also providing strategies to help protect your top line or grow your top line rather, it, it provides a much better solution for a customer. Um, but if you can tell them you can find free money, um, they, they yeah, like why that. not? Why yeah. not? I think that's a, a very compelling case, right? Of hey, I, I can save you a lot of money. What else do you see? So I know like a lot of like damaged shipments or you know inventory that gets lost. Um, that's, I think some of the low hanging fruit, what else is there that, you know, you're saying that Amazon eats your margin for business lunch and dinner or for breakfast, lunch and dinner, right? So what else is there that, you know, people should be paying attention to and Amazon specifically for now that, you know, there could be a lot of, you know, margin leak going out the business. Yeah. I mean, it's important to, to track your weights and your dims and your categories, uh, of what products you're selling in. Cause there's some products, uh, say you're selling a printer, a printer should be in an 8% category, but sometimes they'll slide into a 15% category. So you're losing that, that amount of money. You don't see it unless you're tracking, tracking it, or they could dim it out wrong. Um, say something they, as they went through their cubic scan, it dimmed out incorrectly. So being able to go in and update and fix those dimensions and then do, do file backs on those. Um, also trying to find better, more efficient ways to do inbound shipments. Um, and so there's, there's tools out there that we use that can take, like right now we're running a full truckload uh, for $400 uh, inbound wow. FBA um, where that same truckload going another route could be three to $4,000. So it's the more time you, you, you do this. And the nice thing about uh, our team is we can sit in a, a bullpen and go, okay, what are you guys learning? what did you find out? Um, and trying to take our collective knowledge plus being able to go to like the uh, scale and sales summit and meet other people that know more things and aggregate 
this information to, to become more valuable, um, which to your point is if you're an owner operator trying to do this yourself, it becomes complicated because you don't have the resources and the ability to, to learn all these things. Yeah. Um, but, but to your point, it's, it's the weight and dims. It is the categories. It is uh, inbound shipments. Um, I'm blanking on a few others, but it's, it's really managing that protection of your bottom line. Um, that's important. And it's also like specifically with inbound shipments is the annoying part is you can get that FBA ID cleared. They can say fully received. And we've yep. some, seen with some clients 10, 12 months later, they say, actually we're five short. And if you're not going back and re-auditing those, even though you thought you did a good job auditing it, um, you, you can lose it. Interesting. So even Amazon will will mark it, let's say a month later, it's like, yep, fully received. Yep. We got them all. But then 12 months later, they're like, actually, we are five short, right? And Correct. I would argue most sellers aren't paying attention to that um, mm-hmm. for sure. With the transportation, I think that, you know, that's something that we've been able to unlock recently in our business as well as realizing, like, why do we keep paying for just sending individual boxes instead of pallets or even truckloads into Amazon? Um, what's the tools that you've been able to use? Are they kind of third-party tools, software tools out on the market? Or has that they been are, something you've built yourself? No, they're third-party. They're, they're API vendors. I think the, if, you're, if you're a software developer right now, the API is open for the most part with Amazon. But being able to find ways to bend it are, are some of the most interesting things defined um so i I won't say just for my own protection but (laughs) there's some stuff out there that if you can find it and also i don't want there being too many people bending the api because then that may break for us yeah yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense well just know that there's a lot of tools i think out there that help amazon sellers and i think like it's important to make sure that you're looking at every single line item all the costs that go in shipping and even your fulfillment fees i think another important topic to to really touch on is as you're creating your new products, one of the most important things that you should be doing is paying attention to what are the dimension cutoffs um, for FBA fees, right? Because as soon as you get over that 14 inch mark, right on the longest side of a, of a particular product, now you're going into the large standard size, right? Instead of small, same thing with the weight, right? We recently found out that we have a product that's, 6.2 ounces and it's like oh man like we need to just shave off 0.2 ounces and then it's like we're going to save ourselves in the fulfillment fees because it's a it's a change to go under six to go to right over six i think there's so many like little gaps like that would you agree and is that something that you kind of advise your clients on then is like with new product development or even like repackaging some of their existing products to make it more you know efficient and more profitable yeah, we worked with a client that had really big over cam packaging, like camshell packaging, that was not friendly for shipping in regards to not only weight, I mean, not a ton of weight, but just more bulk. And so we are trying to be very specific on two things is one, not having to stick with the product. And so you, if you're redoing your packaging, having your FN SKU sitting on that packaging, right? Or if you want to go mm. uh, where you can just send in the UPC, um, I we personally advise against using UPC just because commingling and a few other things that can can be complicated but one over packaging uh to condense that to keep your weight and dims within that reasonable range um sometimes it's also doing bundling with those as well going well if we bundle these together it doesn't cost us anything more to ship it uh, but we're able to add more value inside that packaging um and then like i said with labeling if you can get rid of that label that saves a significant amount of time on the inbound side of shipping and it also makes the receiving side that much more um simple and easy interesting now, you mentioned here not using a UPC um, barcode there for your, your label, right, mm-hmm. um, on your product. I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper on that because I think what's unique with your agency is that you help people sell on multiple marketplaces. So before we dive deeper on that, why don't you just kind of give the audience an overview, like what are the marketplaces that you help sellers uh, manage right now? Uh, so Amazon is obviously the big one. Walmart, we see continuing to grow. And so we're spending a significant amount of time there. Uh, we just got launched on Target Plus. That was by invite from Target. Uh, we do Newegg, eBay, Wish, Backmarket. I'm sure there's more, but those are the ones that we're active in currently. Awesome. All right, we're working so- on a new client that is going on Wayfair um, as well. Very cool. We actually just got uh, invited to join Wayfair as well. So we're in that that set up as well. So we'll have to mm-hmm. share some 
war stories there. Um, <laughs> they'll come. I know there will be. Yeah, as we, we figure out a new platform there for sure. Mm-hmm. So going back to the UPC barcodes. Now, I know that's been one of the challenges that we've been able to figure out in our own businesses. What type of barcodes do we put on our products, right? Because if you plan to sell into on these different marketplaces, well, your Amazon barcode only works for Amazon, right? Sure. Like eBay or especially Walmart is not interested in like you can't send in your Amazon barcode, right? Your FN SKU over to Walmart into their fulfillment centers, right? You would have to do your own third party fulfillment. Ensure you, you could use that ASIN. But why don't you kind of give us the lay of the land of like what's the best use if you want to be selling on all of these different platforms? Uh, like what type of label should you be using and, and what would be your recommendation? So I'll start with it all depends on how well you control your distribution. Um, and what I mean by that is are you are doing any form of distribution at all out there of your product? Because the downside with UPCs on Amazon, if you have distribution as well and you're sending it in as UPC only, it they do get commingled. So being able to keep your inventory separate from theirs, it, it just it gets together. However, if you can control your inventory and you have that locked down, there's no reason not to use UPC. And to your point, Walmart only uses UPC for their listing. Um, and it does make it a lot easier to cross list if you have UPCs. But what we've run into is we're because we've taken vendor uh, brands from first party to third party, they tend to have a distribution angle as well. And so that's why we that's why I tend to lean toward that. But for the brands that we represent, we do UPC as long as they have their distribution locked down. Interesting. Okay, so if you're a private label seller, you have your own brand. You're not selling, you know, you're not wholesaling your products out to anybody else, right? Which means you're in control of your inventory. That's when you would recommend using that UPC code then, correct? correct? Yep. Okay. And I think another thing for people to consider on that note is that one thing that you should consider doing is maybe even creating a separate UPC when you go to different uh, marketplaces. And I want to hear your opinion on this, Josh especially if you're like selling into retail, because what I've heard is if whatever retailer starts running a sale and they mark your product down, right? And your product shows up, let's say you're selling into target, right? And they mark your product down. And then that also hits their target.com website, but it's that same UPC code. And that's what's showing up in Amazon as well. Amazon, you're going to lose the buy box in Amazon because they see that your product's a lower price on target.com even though you were not in control of reducing that price on target.com you just sold your product into you know target for example is is that correct josh like how do people navigate that and do you have experience with that and any advice uh yes yes and no so yes it is important so i've seen a lot of brands instead of having a different upc just change the name of their product because if you're having to relabel a product for upc purposes it'd be very similar to relabeling depending on the cost of your packaging and what you're doing to have a different different item. So, for example, one of our clients um, has a unit that's a 25, 2500 and they sold into Target at a 2555 So it became a different mm. item. So not only is it a different item, it's also a different UPC. So when they do discount that, it makes a difference. And that same product is also sold to Target at a 2557 And so they, mm. they've created different models for this, the same exact product. They made, made minor changes, um, but that way they're able to control Target can't compete against Walmart. Walmart can't compete against Best Buy, for example, right? Yeah. And so every they've been able to control the distribution to those locations and protect each one of them. Because if Walmart sees Target selling it, that may be an issue. That makes that makes great sense. I think that's great advice. So, Josh, I want to ask you, uh, with a lot of our audience, they've been able to build an established business, right? They've hit the seven figures. They're doing well. They're established. They've maybe even been able to grow to this point by uh, just having themselves, maybe another founder and maybe a couple VAs, right? They have a really small team. Um, why is it that people should consider utilizing your type of services or why use any agency for that matter um, to grow to eight figures and beyond? Why is that important? There, there's a few things. One, when say you are a carpenter, right? And as a carpenter, day in and day out, you're, you're building, cutting, framing, doing whatever. And then you have uh, a do-it-yourselfer that's at home going, I can do the same thing. And I may have some experience on weekends, or maybe I did some when I was in college. 
Um, or I'm like, so there, there's a different level of experience from a, a seasoned carpenter to a do-it-yourself carpenter, right? doesn't mean the do-it-yourself can't do it. It just may take longer. There may be more stakes. You may look at that and the wall's not perfectly square. Or that didn't go in right. Or if you're like me and you built something, you, you always look at your mistake, right? Um, or didn't know that you could have done something different. But going with an agency that's had a track record, that's been around, that sees things, that has a, a solid team of professionals that spend for us a significant amount of time on Amazon that also work with other agencies. So we work in it with other agencies for best practices and tips. I actually had a call earlier today with an agency and he was having an issue with Walmart. I'm like, well, tr- take this contact and try to fix this problem. Mm. Um, and so when you have, when you have this, this group, this mastermind group of people that can help you grow, it makes it a lot, a, a lot better and different. Or if I run into an issue um, and I'm, and I, don't, I haven't seen it before that I can go to my bullpen of, of Amazon brand managers and go, Hey, what happened? And one of them may raise a hand and say, I saw that two weeks ago, turn this setting on, turn the setting off and you'll fix the problem. Where if you are a, a brand doing it yourself uh, or a third party seller, just doing it yourself as, as an arbitrage, you may not have those experiences. Uh, we didn't have those experiences early on and we made a lot of mistakes. Like I said, if I was able to take the knowledge I have now and put it back then, we would have been significantly more successful uh, because we, but we made mistakes along the way. So say you have your, your president, your CEO, maybe a couple of people you've hired and, and have your VAs. Um, that, that's great. But how do you scale that? You may be able to sustain it. You may have the organic growth that happened, but how do you, how do you start multiplying that? How do you spend the time in, um, in optimizing your listing and spending the time in backend keywords and title management, and um, are you adding Spanish keywords in there? And how are you? Um, what do your pictures look like? And then, if depending on each agency, like for us, we do a decent amount of PPC for our clients as well. And so, how are you managing your PPC? And for us, we have two full-time PPC people. Not a lot of brands will hire two full-time PPC people, or even a full PPC person. But right. if you don't have someone. Because, I mean, if you're looking at one ASIN, if you're doing a good job, you're spending about 10 to 15 hours a month on that one ASIN. And that's just trying to keep that thing going. And if you have 40 ASINs, you start multiplying that out, right? Yeah. Uh, and just trying to keep on top of it. So I would say, yes, you can do well as a six, seven figure seller. But for you to scale that next level, it's bringing on some, some uh, strategic partners. And I think there's a lot of different ways of adding strategic partners. Um, a, a lot of these brands will add strategic partners in SaaS. So let me add Helium 10. Let me add this. Let me add these these plays. Um, but having someone on your team that is that professional carpenter that can help you make those. So we actually recommend for a lot of our clients to keep an Amazon person on staff. And that mm-hmm. way they kind of become the liaison from the owner, from their VPs or whatever to communicate directly to us. Because if not, the C-suite or the, the decision makers don't always have that time. Um, and we're also yep. not in their office. And so if we have a designated person there, we're able to parlay with them and, and grow together. And so that that has helped a lot of these uh, brands go, oh, I still have my own person. Yeah. And in that process, are they organically learning? And may they take some of our skills and go, well, you're out. I can do this by myself now. I, I don't think so. Um, but for us, we found that to be a great benefit for someone to have someone on staff. That's fascinating. Uh, I love that breakdown. And I think to sum it up, I mean, you're saying in order to really scale, right? Like everybody's going to need to build out a team, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can get to this point, but if you really want to take things to the next level, you do have to build a team, right? You've got to launch new products. And when you're launching new products, that includes more product optimization. That includes more PPC management. That includes yep. more backend. You know, we just talked a lot about like the profitability stuff tracking shipments like everything gets more and more complex right as you continue to launch new products but that's honestly how you grow so with that josh let's say somebody's on that verge of like hey i think i need to build out my team what's one of the first hires that you would recommend that they should make right if it's an owner and maybe a business partner and they've got a couple of vas like what would be kind of one of your initial recommendations to say this should probably be your next hire i'd say a brand manager First and foremost, someone that that can get in there, be the nitty gritty, because I work with a few CEOs and they're the ones running Amazon. I'm like, you don't have time. And so brand owners, they became a brand owner and then they found a place to sell that brand. Typically, some people are Amazon sellers and go find brands to resell them and make money. But as a brand owner, you're really good at building and 
visioning and thinking through what the next product, what the next design, what the next thing is. The last thing they want to worry about is an easy or a chargeback claim or right. this removal order didn't come with everything that it was supposed to come with. Right. And so I would say first is bringing your brand manager in uh, to help get an idea of what that, what that looks like. Um, and then from there, if you weren't going to go the agency route, it'd be bringing on um, probably a listing optimizer, optimizer, depending how many SKUs you have. So if you have someone that oversees the whole umbrella and then you start putting people in um, customer service would be the next one. I'd put in there um, if you're not using an agency for that as well. Um, and depending on how you want to manage your customer service, you can have them do a significant amount of, mm. of your, uh, your claims uh, on their downtime. So if I yeah. was to, to build a team, those would probably be the first three I'd put in there. Cause early on your, your brand manager can handle customer service. They can handle some of those A to Z claims. They can do the listing optimization and then they're going to start to drown. And then you add someone else and then you add someone else. Yeah. Do your brand managers also manage some PPC then at the same time? Nope. Uh, we have a specific PPC. It's, it's a whole different beast. I, I think okay. there are some people that can do it. Um, I try to keep the, our, our brand manager specifically over a brand. Big, big picture kind of takes that place of the CEO, the visionary, the casting. Because I feel like when I get someone in the weeds is when they, they lose sight of the big picture because they, they're so deep and they can't see can't see the forest through the trees or they can't see two, six, eight months down the road. And I need yeah. them to see that where a PPC person is looking at yesterday and hoping to make the different change today. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good input. So then what's the difference between your brand manager versus having a listing optimization specialist? So listing optimization kind of is very similar, in my opinion, to a PPC person. They're in the weeds. They're trying to figure out keywords, backend keywords, what was uh, my click through? They are our uh, listing optimizers also work with our PPC um, going, okay, we made these changes. How's that look on my click through rate? Cause I don't necessarily think my PPC person should be looking at click through rate or really, I just don't see that. And so the, my optimizers are spending a lot of time and also the optimizers are reviewing sales from the prior, prior day as well. So trying to see what has changed has pricing change has um, view views changed. And so the optimizer and the brand uh, manager are very similar when the team's small, the, the, that gap becomes a lot bigger as the team gets bigger um, because there's, there's more minutia that the optimizer does because you can spend hours building out a listing for optimizing, right? Trying to think yeah. through the strategy and then constantly trying to change and, and tweak. And if I do this change today, how's that change tomorrow? Yeah, no, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Now, Josh, I know you have years and years of experience. I think that's one of the valuable things to make note of here is that uh, when you work with somebody that has years and years of Amazon experience for yourself, you've been on the platform for 13 years, you've seen it evolve drastically over the last decade for sure. And so you're staying current where, you know, somebody that's newer, right. Or has launched a brand in the last two to three years, right. Some, they haven't crossed some of the challenges that you've had a lot of experience dealing with. And so to that point, I think that listing optimization has also evolved over the last decade quite drastically. So, mm -hmm. Josh, what would be kind of like if you were to, you know, kind of go through like the listing optimization process, like like what's number one, right? Like this should be your first focus, second, third, fourth. And what should people be paying attention to um, with their listings? So if you've been following Amazon, so I'll take a step back because the longer you're with Amazon, the more you see how often they try to kick you off the platform. It's just what they do. They change their account health. They change, like for those that were an SFP, they, they've made all these different changes with an SFP to make it almost impossible to sell an SFP. And so being able to see those cycles of what Amazon does, the same thing goes with when they do API launches. Um, they just did a big change in their API for PPC and didn't do a great job at communicating. So if you have anything that's built on that API, now you have to go back and try to fix it as fast as possible versus them coming out and saying, hey, here's the new change. Why don't you build your platform for it? Yeah. I know it's probably out there. We just haven't seen great communication on that. Because um, even like if you use some of these, these big companies and you see it break, they're like, I had no communication. We're trying to fi figure out what the API change was. Uh, but back to your original question around optimization, because the world's going so much more mobile, um, you're, you find more people shopping mobile than you find shopping on PC, make sure that when you're viewing your listing, you're viewing it on, on mobile. When you're viewing it on mobile, there's only three to four things that really, really matter. 
uh, if you're just doing the list, listing optimization side, not outside of the search background stuff. So the simple things are title. How clean is your title? How organized is your title? How does that title fit within um, with mobile? Um, so when you're viewing it, are you seeing exactly what you want to see, especially when you're scrolling through your feed? It, it, so your title can be longer, but it doesn't always fit nicely. Second is how does your first and second picture look? Um, so I, I'm, we're playing around with lifestyle photos of the first photo versus the brand, the picture of itself, uh, so the, the item itself. But still on those lifestyle photos, making the that product still the main piece of it, but maybe like trying to engage lifestyle. We're not fully set up either way. It's always been white background product image, right? But we yeah. are seeing a little bit of a change in lifestyle and how those work. And then with that too, under brand management, making sure you have a video. Um, I, we've we've done a quite a bit of market survey, and if there's a video, what we what we've heard and what we've seen is people scroll through all the photos looking for that play button, and they want to watch how that product's being used. Hmm. Um, I think bullets description and um, if I put them in order, bullets description and A plus content are becoming less and less needed. Um, bullets, I'd say yes, they're still above that fold on that scroll, um, but we're seeing at least on our end, less and less people using the A plus content because it's not as convenient uh, to scroll down and find that A plus content on mobile. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Going back to the listing image, right? That main photo that it should be on a white background. Um, you mentioned that, you know, maybe there's a little bit more leniency. Tell me more about that and like what you've been experimenting or, or trying there. Uh, so just trying to keep things really simple. So if it's a cooler, for instance, do we put the cooler on a white background or do we put the cooler on a beach that kind of has a white ish background? Right. And so, mm. um, and trying to make it more like, again, th there, there is a little wiggle room, but I think that there, that's part of the fun play in doing this more often is how does that, how does that change? We have seen a little positive, um, growth in doing a lifestyle image first. Um, so, but it's still early on. Yeah. And I think the, the good news on that is even if Amazon doesn't like what you decided to do with that image, it just gets suppressed. It's not like you're getting a Correct. ding on your account, right? Correct. It's like, oh, you're mm -hmm. not following TOS. It's more like, sorry, this, we're, we're not accepting this image. You're listing suppressed. That's it. Correct? Correct. Yep. And that's why if, when you have a team built out, being able to go through your account health. So we do all account health on our end. So we're in Pacific time. All of our account health is done by 6 a.m. We monitor it throughout the day we're able to make those changes really, really quick. And that's what happens when you have a team versus trying to do this by yourself. I love it. I love it. So Josh, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I've, I've got a brand, we're doing well on Amazon. Uh, what are the first steps that you kind of take them through and like quick wins that you can give a business that, that comes to you? Uh, first thing we look at is reimbursements. Not a lot of people think about reimbursements and understand what those reimbursements are. Um, and so that'd be the first thing. Um, second is we open ourselves up for some consulting talk. Like, okay, tell me your, the issues that you have. If I was to ask you the top five problems that you have with Amazon, let's walk through those uh, and seeing if we can't provide some level of help. Because I shouldn't be asking for anything if I can't provide more added value. So I come at this as, let me show you the value I can add, and then let's grow this, this brand together. Um, and so for anybody that comes to us, so not only will I spend that time up front asking, okay, what are your five things? What do we, what do we work on? I'll do a round table discussion with my team. We come back to them. If I can't answer them right away with solutions, Hey, do this, do this. Do this. It doesn't cost them anything. I think you should make these changes and you'll see significant growth. We'll point them a couple different ways. Um, and if they continue to be interested, I always offer the first one for free. Mm -hmm. Hey, let me, let me walk in here. If I don't add value for you, there's no reason for us to work together. So I, I always look at these as partnerships. If you benefit, if I'm able to benefit you and your account's able to benefit us, it's a win-win. If that ever becomes skewed, there's no reason for us to, to do business together. I'm confident enough with my team that that first month they're going to go, I didn't know I didn't know this. How did I not know this? It's so clear. You guys have made us so much more money. And just even in the reimbursements for the first six months covers the expense that we, we are, right? Just yeah. typically, not all the time, but they're they're amazed at the amount of, revenue they're able to get back in those lost products. And it's just those, those small nuances, being able to change some of their PPC strategies that they want us to, being able to change their listings and listing optimization or going in and doing brand registry stuff. Uh, as much as I was talking about A-plus content, I don't think is that valuable. A lot of brands like it. And so being able to build that A-plus content so they have their own landing page. Um, so I, I think that that's 
the first thing. And the second thing we do as an agency is go, okay, well, you have Amazon. What are you doing on Walmart? What are you doing on Target? What are you doing on these other places? And they may have nothing. And so we walk in offering our services there saying, I think we can help you here. And once we are able to show them that we know what we're doing in one area, it also allows us to continue to help in the other areas. Yeah. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that, like expanding your distribution, right? I think a lot of people, you can build a a seven-figure brand real quick on Amazon, find success. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, all right, now how do I take this to other distribution channels and where else can I find success? So I want to go down the list of what you would consider like priority of importance. If somebody is like, Hey, I I do, I'm interested in expanding our distribution channels. What would be the top ones people should focus on? And then with that, I want to hear from you kind of what's the estimated sales lift in terms of like percentage, right? Of revenue, like, Hey, you get onto Walmart, it's next year, probably 5% or is it 10? So like, if you wouldn't mind, like, let's go down the list of marketplaces what sales lift do you typically see on average um, and then what you would recommend? Yeah. So I'd start off if you're doing FBA, which I wouldn't imagine why you're not doing FBA, I would start off with NARF um, and being able to expand to Amazon in Mexico turnkey. Um, the um, reps in Canada and Mexico are really easy to work with to build out your listings. And if you're not familiar with NARF, what it does is it takes your U S inventory and lists it in Mexico and or lists it in Canada increases the cost to the end customer to cover all the inbound fees. Um, and when the customer, if the customer returns the product, it comes back to the U.S. on a removal order. So you're not having to worry about taxes, duties, tariffs, inventory, that, anything. I mean, I guess not that. But, I mean, in, it, that is easiest. And we see a 7% lift almost overnight once we're able to get that implemented. And it doesn't cost you anything more. It just gets you exposure into Canada and Mexico. And what that does is then it lets us know, okay, if Mexico is seeing this much of a lift or Canada is seeing this much in a lift, Maybe it's worth us looking at expanding and getting a presence up in Canada or getting a presence down in Mexico, even though even though those tend to be more complicated um, than just doing NARF. It may be worth it because your 7% may turn to 14% now that it's in country. It's a little bit cheaper, so on and so forth. That's on Amazon. Um, and if we if I take it off Amazon, I'd say the next one would be Walmart. I think Walmart's finally made good strides in their growth on Marketplace. Yeah. I thought <laughs> this was going to happen. Coming. Right. When they acquired Jet, I figured it was going to be a turnkey yeah. process. Um, Walmart's highly difficult <laughs> to, to work with. Their customer support, their service, their ticket process is not great. And they're making it more and more complicated um, because they're they're pushing everything toward uh, Walmart fulfilled services. Mm. Um, and they're making that. So it, that becomes a little more complicated in regards to uh, where inventory sits. Um, for a while there, you're able to do a brown box program with Amazon and then use um, MCF and ship that product to all these different places. Yeah. Walmart's terms of service now don't allow that. So that makes it that makes it more complicated. So now you're taking an inventory, having to divide it in two places, um, but play around with it. But I would say Walmart and I'd say Walmart specifically with Walmart fulfilled services, starting off with a small amount of inventory in there based on what's selling on Amazon. And also, I believe Walmart's um, ad uh, ad council is ripe for the pickings it is not nearly as complicated uh it is is complicated but it's not as um as heavily diluted as amazon's ppc is right now so if you come Mm. in there with with good data that you're able to take from amazon your buyers are different so not all keywords and terms and they they don't all cross pollinate well but there's not a lot of people on walmart connect doing ads well so you have interesting opportunity to put your put your listings right to the top pretty quick with limited ad spend yeah, um, I, I think that's a great point to to point out is that Walmart's still kind of in that new phase where Amazon was maybe like, a, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, mm-hmm. right? Where it's still kind of fresh, new. Hopefully I, I, I see some growth there. And maybe you're going to get to this, but like what percentage sales lift do you see from Walmart? Walmart, that one's still unknown. Um, the MC or the WCF, we're seeing anywhere from five to 10 um initially and that's if you're doing walmart connect ads well um uh, but it's also trying to do that page jockeying right so right now is that process walmart's listing process is is odd and different and uh, a little wonky where you have some of them um so say your your competition selling belts um and they have 10 belts on 10 different pages and 10 different asins or sometimes they can have that same belt in multiple different listings because they've they've bent the system and walmart hasn't had 
the the infrastructure to help clean that up a little bit. So there's a lot of noise. Um, but I think if you can come in, come and swing with good ads, you can set yourself up for success long term because then you start getting that placement, you start getting the click through, you start getting the reviews uh, early on. So I'd say five to seven. Um, I think it's conservative, um, but I'm also we're still early stages of what this Walmart fulfilled service is going to do, what their time frame is, how they're going to keep you with Amazon. Um, are we going to see any type of prime day type stuff from Walmart? Yeah. Um, what we do find is where, where Walmart is really strong um, in regards to their retail locations. We find that we're getting a big pickup in sales for Walmart in those areas. Mm. Um, and so they tend to be more rural. They tend to be more, um, uh, Midwest. Um, so we're seeing, cause typically on a heat map, you see California, Texas, right. Florida, New York, Washington. Like you see the corners, you see the big, big cities. But what we are seeing is pick up in these rural areas from Walmart. Cause that's in a lot of these places, that's the only store in town Yeah, Walmart. And so there's a lot of brand recognition, brand loyalty. Walmart's doing a lot of good jobs in advertising their products. So you may get you you may not have the same amount of sales, but you're getting a different client that you didn't have um, on Amazon. Interesting. That's that's a great perspective. All right, what would be next after Walmart? What would be your next uh, person that you, or next marketplace after Walmart? Then that's a hard one. Um, I think it's going to be Target. Um, I really do. I, I think there's a lot of brand recognition because I, I, not to speak ill of other platforms, but you're seeing a lot of the other bigger platforms kind of dissipate uh, hmm. specifically in like the electronics categories. Um, I think the only one that would be interesting is if Best Buy ever, ever opened up us, they have Canada open, but they don't have us open. So I think if they opened up us, that'd be an interesting play because we're seeing, I know some people see success on eBay and um, Newegg. I think it's a, it's a good platform to be in if you have a good distribution channel uh, or di- distribution network, meaning so you have a good three PL, you have a good pick back and ship and it doesn't cost you much more to list on those places. Okay. You can pick up some added revenue, two, three, 4% spattered everywhere. It's not great. As long as the, the cost of doing business on there, it doesn't cost more than the revenue you're making. Right. So you gotta, you gotta balance that one out. Um, but I do think target, I think targets going to be the next big play. I do think Wayfair um, is also going to be good depending on your category. Yeah. Um, Cause Wayfair is a growing, uh, a growing market and you're seeing more on there. I will be interested to see, as they open up this, this third party play and getting more U S based companies in Wayfair. Um, I think that will, that, that will be good, but I, I do believe target for certain how, categories. Yeah. How hard is it to get on the target then? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I will say from our experience, we've been, so since they reached out to us and since we got initially approved, I got my email for our first client last night. Okay. And so um, I have clients ready to, to launch. Um, but they finally said this category, this brand is finally approved. So it's a process and there, I appreciate them taking it slow. Um, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but, uh, we're ready ready to roll with it. Interesting. And with target, do you have to fulfill from your own warehouses? Like, do you have to have a separate three PL? Cause I imagine similar to Walmart, they don't want you, you know, using the multi-channel fulfillment from Amazon. We're working through that. I haven't gotten no on the multi-channel, especially if you're in a brown box program. Interesting. Um, the the thing, if you're not familiar with brown boxes, there is a program in Amazon where they don't send it out with a smiley box or the colored boxes during their, their promos. Um, so it's a brown box and it still has that little white square slip. So you can tell it's from Amazon if you really paid attention. Um, but I, I'm assuming target and at least initially, I don't think there's going to be an issue. I'm, this is just me hypothesizing yeah. until they start figuring out their, their fulfillment services. Uh, but we are planning and building out cause we have a, a three PL our own three PL in Texas. We're okay. building out that, that infrastructure right now to make sure we are doing our pick pack and ship different um, for them specifically. Interesting. Awesome. And then outside of that, you know, you kind of grouped in, uh, you know, eBay, new egg, you know, uh, wish as like maybe a two to 3% lift. Correct. Yeah, maybe. Depending on, depending on your category um, and and how much time you want to spend, um, both a lot of these other platforms are built around electronic sales. Okay. Um, so I don't, I'm not seeing a ton out there. Um, it, if it's easy, like I said, if, if you're able to make more than it costs you to fulfill it, it, it wouldn't hurt to do. Um, but the problem is if you're you're doing all this work and doing all the management and customer service and phone calls and emails and returns and you're not making it, it doesn't make sense. So just because yeah. you're selling. Kind of that long tail. I think there's 
a few big players up front that do really well, and there's this really, really long, thin tail. And it just depends on how how deep in that long tail do you want to go for exposure or brand brand yeah. growth. No, I I think that does make a lot of sense. What about any experience with Etsy at all? Uh, we don't have any client that would sit uh, that sits on Etsy currently. That's not a category that we we play in really heavily. Okay, perfect. And then just so our audience knows, is there a particular type of brand that is best suited for your guys's agency? Right, a specific industry or niche that you are more experienced in. We are more experiencing consumer electronics, so that's why you're hearing me talk more a consumer electronics play. Um, we're, we just picked up a, a homeware company uh, that's going to be interesting. It still sits in the electronics space, but it's not really electronics. Um, but that's where we spent kind of our bread and butter and what we know, because uh, there there does there's a lot that goes into electronic sales, shipping lithium ion batteries, storing all. So there's a few different things that go into that um, that we were vested in in in. Um, so that, that'd probably be it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That's good to know. I, I figured as much, but just wanted to clear the air with the audience. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, great. Now, kind of a, one of the final questions I want to ask you here before we get to my kind of three final, final questions that I like to ask <laughs> every guest is I think it's fairly challenging if you're on all of these marketplaces, like that's a, that's much easier said than done in terms of managing multiple listings across multiple marketplaces. So are there any tools that you use to kind of make that easier? Yes. And so to your point, if if you're not using some program um, out there to help multi-list, it is really complicated. So like cart.com, I think does a decent job. They do Amazon, Walmart, and eBay. And that's a fairly simple bolt-on. We personally use Channel Advisor. Uh, we like that for various reasons. I know some people hate Channel Advisor. Some people love Channel Advisor. We build that into our costing for our clients because it's not a cheap, cheap solution at all. But within that solution, we're able to control rules. We're able to control pricing. We're able to control um, uh, shipping templates turning on and off. So we're able to control a lot within that. But if you're not doing that, that makes it very difficult. And also trying to find some solution for your customer service. And so some people use Zendesk, some people use Zoho, some people um, use, use a variety. Uh, we have one uh, that we've kind of worked and built where everything comes in, we're able to have um, everything tagged individually. And then we're also specifically for Amazon have product pages. So we're able to redirect customers off Amazon only because it's a non-selling site to a website that either can help register your product for warranty, um, can help set up a return, uh, can uh, submit like a general ticket, or we also have FAQs uh, and or um, the user guides. And so mm. we've been able to bring people off Amazon um, and also work. It's it's a uh, on Amazon. You can see when you set up a return, you can say get support. Yep. And that that is able to bring us bring us over as well. So um, really, but you, yeah. But you have to have a solution for customer service. And you have to have a solution for a listing to make it easy. Because if you if you're popping in and out, especially if you're doing multiple different um, sites, it becomes very complicated. So having a a single solution makes a big difference. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. I think that part's really interesting, right? With the Git support, plus you're also kind of having a standalone website that has like FAQs, maybe a tutorial video, um, things like that, right? Or register mm -hmm. your warranty. Tell me how that's working. Like where's the customer getting that link um, and how are you getting that set up? So we are including business cards within the um, packaging, Okay. With a QR code and a URL. And again, because it cannot go to a site that has anything that you're selling. You're not selling anything. This is just for product support. With that, um, you're able to have, have a few different questions. So we disguise one as product registration. Yeah. So with that, we get name of the customer. We get email. If they want to get phone number, it's not required. And we get the serial number of the product. Um, and so now we're able to use that for communication directly with the client um, and taking it off Amazon as much as we possibly can. Um, and so that also works with if we're selling on Walmart or Target or whatever, we're able to bring a customer back and help them um, and fix a lot of the problems that they're having off Amazon. Yeah. Um, and because when you're on Amazon, it's easy to go defective return ship back. Right. Or mm -hmm. doesn't fit or listing inaccurate or whatever. And they get these free shipments. But if we're able to say, hey, this is where you register your product. One of a customer registers their product. They're less likely to return it for no reason. Um, yeah. And two, now you have their information. And if you choose to, it's against TOS, but if you choose to, now you have a mailing list for promos down the road that yeah. they gave they gave you willingly. 
Um, and that way, if you're building a brand and building that um, back to back to if you have your custom belt and they bought this belt and they really like the belt and they registered the belt for maybe an extra one year warranty for whatever reason, right? Yeah. And now you're having a sale on handbags. You're having a sale on wallets. You have their name and email. You can email and say, hey, pop on our website and shop here. So I think yeah. that's a, it's an interesting play uh, around taking a customer off of Amazon. Makes sense. What about the get support button from Amazon? Are you able to link people off of Amazon from there then? How are you using that? Yes, it does link and it goes right to our chat. Okay. So that opens up your own chat feature where I think, again, to that point, you're able to kind of mitigate some returns and, right. you know, it mitigate the amount of like damaged inventory or stuff that Amazon will start marking up like, oh, the, the defect rate's high or whatever, and yep. even start closing down specific inventory. And specifically, like I said, we're a consumer electronics place, so it doesn't yeah. turn on or this isn't happening or why is my paper jammed or, right? So it helps us answer some of those questions for Grandma Susie in Georgia that doesn't know how to put paper in. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Josh, I think this conversation has been super fun. I do have my final questions that I want to get to, but I love to leave the audience first with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So here are the three takeaways that I noted, Josh. Let me know if you think I'm missing something. So first and foremost, I would say you've got to establish, uh, you know, a successful brand on a particular sales channel. That's that's your first action, right? And double down on that sales channel first. Make sure you've, uh, you know, you've leveraged all the different selling points for that sales channel. And in the example of Amazon, if you're on Amazon, make sure you've exhausted your resources there to grow your brand. Make sure you've turned on PPC, right? I've even heard many uh, brands that are like, yeah, I don't want to spend any on, on PPC. And it's like, well, you're, you're missing out on organic ranking, additional sales, et cetera. On top of that, you have the NARF program that Josh talked about. And I think that is super important, like leverage everything you can on Amazon first, because that's going mm -hmm. to be much easier than, you know, when you have to cross the bridge and go to these other platforms that you're going to be doing a, a little bit extra work. So that's number one, right? Leverage everything you can on the, the existing platform that's bringing you the most success. Number two, I would say is kind of in that same vein, make sure that you have optimized all of your listings in that specific channel where you're finding success again. So if you're on Amazon, make sure that you go through that optimization checklist that Josh talked about. And the first thing that you talked about, Josh, was like optimizing things for mobile views. So optimizing the title. What does my title look like when it's on mobile? Optimizing your first and second image for your product listing and even experimenting with some lifestyle photos for that main image. Then you would go into, you know, next would be having a video and demonstrating like how that product works uh, so that the customer sees it in action, not just kind of like a, I think some people go the cheap route of, hey, I'm just going to turn my images into videos. And it's like, yep. no, the customer wants to see it in action, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then last but not least there with the optimization, work on your bullets, uh, your A plus content, your description, things like that. And then kind of my third action item for everybody is to begin once you've kind of accomplished number one and two, you've maxed everything out. You've got your maximum conversion rate. You've refined things really well. Your keywords are, uh, you know, humming along there. Then the next thing is to maybe look at additional distribution platforms, right? We talked about, you know, if you're on Amazon already, the next best place to go is probably going to be Walmart. And then, you know, you should even consider going through the sign-up process with Target because I know back in the day with Walmart, I think you had to wait like six months to a year to even get approved. So why not start that process early now for Target? And then you've got some of the other lower uh, hanging fruit marketplaces that would be eBay, Newegg, you know, even Etsy that you can experiment with and even Wayfair. But just know that, you know, uh, your your sales, you might be looking at 2 to 3% of incremental revenue there. Josh, does that sound like the appropriate, like, next steps that people should be taking in terms of actionable takeaways from today? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's go into my final three questions for you here, Josh. Um, 
what has been your most influential book that you've read and why? That's a great question. Um, heads up on this would have been nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think if you are building a brand specifically, and this is not to be um, like just tongue in cheek, but I think any book from Gary V is really helpful because I think that there is so much that can be done through social media that's not being done. Like he talks about his TikTokification, right? And just understanding, okay, if I'm building this brand, I can do PPC and I can do listing optimization. I can do lifestyle photos and I can do videos. How is the customer going to know about your brand? And so I think he's done a really good job at building some of the basic stuff. If I was to look at books, then his, his content and video is really, really good. Um, but it does take a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time. But I think for um, if you're building a brand and building building a story, having, having that out there as a big play is really important. Yeah, I think I would echo what you just mentioned there. Gary V came and spoke at the Sale and Scale Summit, which is where I met Josh to begin with. And I think the knowledge that Gary V shared with everybody was, I think, very valuable. Um, and he does put out, put out a lot of great content. It's a lot to uh, consume for sure. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, it's much easier said than done. But if you're trying to build a real brand, definitely highly recommend that as well. And I don't um, know, maybe, maybe, you know, Josh, I think it'd be interesting if there's an agency out there that does support for like TikTokification and like all these plays, right? Get someone that can come in that ha like can build that. So I don't know if you know anybody, but if you do, I think it'd be good to share because that takes a lot of resources to build all that content, where you're posting it, what it looks like. And so I think that's, that's an interesting play. Yeah, I agree. You know, I actually, um, it was, I was on TikTok the other day and I came across the video. It was the guy who had run all of the media, uh, social media for Gary Vee, and he's open. He's opening up his kind of own agency. So hmm. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. I'd have to dive into TikTok. And nobody wants to do that while I'm on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but uh, that is out there. So I, I agree with you, Josh. Like it's better to leverage somebody else's experience rather than trying to like start that from scratch because yep. social media is evolving quicker than we can even learn it. I think um, question number two that I have for you, Josh is what's your favorite like productivity tool or resource that you use, whether it be in your personal life or even for business as well. Oh, that's a great question. Um, tool. Uh, I say for our team, we use Slack. Um, that's been really, really good keeping communication. Um, I'm not a big meeting fan. Uh, I think it takes, takes up too much time and you don't get enough things done. Um, but the, the, First slash second thing that came to my mind is having a computer that can keep up with what you're trying to do, right? One of the worst things is having a computer that's slow and you're waiting for pages to load, making sure the internet into your house, especially if you're an online seller, is is up to par uh, because waiting can can take a lot. But my personal PC is stronger than our server <laughs> just because <laughs> I do a lot uh, on here. And so for me, that's my biggest tool. I figure if I was a carpenter, I'd probably have all DeWalt or all Milwaukee tools to do everything I need to do. I look at my computer as my tool. And so I make sure my computer's up and operational the best way I possibly can. I think that's great recommendation coming from the guy that used to, you know, sell refurbished computers. And I think you, you know, that space really well. So I think that that's good advice coming from you. Uh, last question here is who is someone that you admire or respect most in kind of this e-commerce space? Um, or even Amazon FBA space and why, like who are the people that other people should be following? Um, I think what's the name? Josh Pope from my Amazon guy. I think he does a really Stephen good job. Pope. Stephen yeah. Pope. Thank you. Um, I think he's got really good content. I think he um, uh, provides a lot of value um, out there in the space for free. Um, you have Bradley from helium 10 being able to pop on his, his podcast. I think Stephen King, no, Kevin King, Kevin King. Um, yep. does does a really good job. And so find these people that are willing to provide free content. Um, but I think those three guys do a really good job in the space of sharing what they know, um, what some of the tips and tricks are, and really unashamedly, like, do this. Because it's very similar. Like, if you look at Toyota, and they have been doing lean for years, and they let any brand, Honda, um, Chevy, they let anybody come walk in their in their facility and do a tour and see what they did but they never cared about people being there because they knew by the time they left that they were going to be better than the people that they just, they just trained. And so I think yeah. those three people specifically are so great at what they do. They can give it away for free because they're already seven steps ahead of where we were at trying to pick up where they just left off. Right. And so it's trying to find those people that are that in the game that know what's going on really well, that give it for free because they keep on growing. 
Yep. I love that. We've had Stephen Pope on the podcast, so people should go check out that episode in the past. The episode with Kevin King has been uh, has been launched as well, so you can go check that one out. And we have Bradley Sutton coming up as well. So stay tuned for that one that will come live. But all of these other uh, big players, we've had them on the podcast, so make sure you go back in the search history there, the podcast, and go find them because they did drop a lot of great knowledge to Josh's point. They're somebody that's kind of been there, done that, and they're they're giving back to the entire Amazon FBA uh, community now. So definitely recommend those as well. Now, Josh, I think you have a, a gift that you wanted to give to everybody on the podcast, a free month or so of your yep. services. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah. So if you, you're you interested, um, I don't know, Josh, if you're going to have like follow-up content. We'll have show own. notes. Yep. We'll have okay, show perfect. notes in the description. So, I will have all that down there, but we do, like I was saying, um, we can either do, we do one of two things. Let's have a conversation. We can talk through your top five issues that you have, see if we can provide value. And then if that does provide value, then we offer a free month of our services. Awesome. And where do people go to find you and, and learn more and take advantage of this offer, Josh? I will put that on the notes. We're actually relaunching our consulting site right now. So it's down, uh, but it is sojournconsultingservices.com. And so I'm hoping by the time this podcast is up, we're, we're up and live, but we're relaunching it specifically for the ability to uh, have people set up and get these free months of service going. Awesome. That's excellent. Well, Josh, thank you so much for sharing your in-depth knowledge about selling on multiple marketplaces and making them profitable today. I know that uh, I've got a lot of action items for our team that I'm going to be taking away, and I appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.